0: Hey, what's up? This is Kristen Carter, and you are listening to the I Have ADHD podcast episode number 120. I am medicated, I am caffeinated, and I am ready to roll. Gather round, come close, let us hold hands and celebrate together because you are all going to freak out. You've been begging for this episode, it's finally here. Today, I'm gonna chat with the legend, Dr. Russell Barkley, about ADHD medication. If you haven't yet listened to last week's episode, episode 119, Go listen to that. I do a long intro on Dr. Russell Barkley, who he is, why you should be reading his books and paying attention to everything he says, but I'm going to assume that if you're listening to this episode, you know exactly how incredible this thinker is, how incredible his brain is, and um, I can't wait for you to hear his take on ADHD medication. Um, I love this conversation that we have, especially Dr. Barkley's no nonsense, straightforward approach to ADHD treatment, medication, and all the things. And even if you're happy with your ADHD treatment protocol, I I encourage you to still listen. I promise you'll get a ton out of this episode because Dr. Barkley has a really holistic approach to ADHD treatment and we talk about so much more than just like the basic ADHD meds. If you're listening to this episode and you have yet to be diagnosed with ADHD, maybe you're just exploring the idea of the possibility of maybe having ADHD, I want to say I got you. No problem at all, okay? So on my website, I have a psychologist-approved list of ADHD symptoms that you can print out. You can circle the ones that you relate to and that you identify with. And you can even take that list to your diagnostic appointment with you if you want to, so that you can remember what symptoms you're relating to and remember why you made the appointment in the first place. Because if you have ADHD, chances are your memory, it's probably not so great. So having something in front of you to take with you to that appointment, or even to talk to your family and friends about like, hey, I know we haven't discussed ADHD in detail. Here's a list of symptoms. Here are the ones that I relate to. You know, what else do you see in me? Um, and it's, it can be a really good conversation starter. So anyway, you can go to my website. I have ADHD.com slash symptoms for that free printout. I know you'll find it to be helpful. And here's the moment we've all been waiting for, my conversation with Dr. Russell Barkley about ADHD medications.
1: Let's get these kids, and especially these young adults, the mm. services that they need, you know? 100%. Yeah,
0: That's yeah. a perfect segue into what are the best ways to treat ADHD medically? So I get so many questions about this and I am not qualified to answer. And I always point them toward your book. um, and you know, their own doctor, because I am a life coach and I'm a woman with ADHD, but I am not a doctor or psychologist or a psychiatrist. And I want to make sure that I stay in my lane, right. um, which is a huge reason why I wanted to have you um, share your wisdom with us. Tell me what is like the, the best or most commonly prescribed medications for sure. ADHD?
1: Okay. Um, well, let, if I can just take 30 seconds and put that in some context here. Go for it. Um, treatment programs for people with ADHD, kids and adults, but especially adults need to have five components. And I teach this to physicians, residents, psychiatrists, whatever, uh, you gotta do all five. So stop thinking that this is just a prescription away from a solution. Now for some people it is, and I don't wanna belittle that, uh, but here are the five things. Number one, get yourself an appropriate expert evaluation. We need to know what's going on here because 80% of people with ADHD have a second disorder and 50% have a third disorder. We've talked about anxiety, depression, emotion regulation, you know, maybe uh, you know, perimenstrual or perimenopausal symptoms and other things. You know, so what is happening out there? That requires a very thorough evaluation, which is going to take three to five hours, not 30 minutes, and may be done on three visits for an hour each. But if it's being done in less than three hours, you're missing stuff. So evaluation. Second, education. People need to do what you're doing. They need to listen to these podcasts. Go to chad.org website. Go to add.org. If you're in Canada, go to cadra.ca. If you're over in Europe, go to the European Network for Adult ADHD. There are websites out there by foundations that have no bias Uh, You know, you don't just go on Google, you're going to get 5 million hits and a lot of it's going to be nonsense and some of it's going to be, you know, uh, sort of Scientology type misrepresentation, not to just pick on them because there are other groups doing it too, but they have an axe to grind. So be careful where you get your information because there's a lot of nonsense out there. Mm. Uh, and, And so start with the reputable websites whose job it is to educate us because those are our national foundations. And that, as I said, would be chad.org, add.org, and there are some others out there as well. Um, And then, okay, so we got diagnosis, which is evaluation. We have education, okay? And that means learn about your disorder, read widely. David Lindsay, the novelist decades ago had a great phrase in a novel and I've used it ever since. Kudos to David. Truth is an assembled thing. You don't get it from one source, one site, one person. You read widely, listen widely, and out of that will come distilled this information that keeps repeating itself. And I that's going to that. have, that's reliable information. And, and, but you don't want to put all your eggs in a single you know, book or, or website. Get out there and read and listen, but be skeptical, be critical, put on that scientific hat yeah. uh, because you're always going to say, where's the evidence for that? particularly mm-hmm. if it sounds rather far-fetched like you know oh you could get over this if you just played an app or went to lumosity and did some brain games for 45 minutes a night well no you're not totally. and you would have learned that had you read more widely mm-hmm. than just believe the advertising that these yeah. uh, you know apps and websites are using mm-hmm. so um that leads to something uh, under education that's very important and you brought it up earlier and i loved it own it yeah. you gotta own this condition there's nothing wrong with that it's part of you look I'm bald I'm colorblind I'm old I have a left facial weakness which is causing me to list you know lisp a little bit uh, I, you know I'm a mediocre golfer and and I don't particularly dress all that well either uh, and tell, when I was in the Air Force they wouldn't let me anywhere near anything that involved mechanics there's a reason I'm in a verbal profession you know I own all of that let me tell you that's nice. me you know I'm not ashamed of that mm-hmm. I, that's my individuality right mm-hmm. there and you know I, I, I'm good with that so as adam levine uh, said on that youtube video own it because adam is major adhd yeah. like michael phelps and many other yeah. success stories simone biles most recently being in the news because of her mental health issues but she's God also adhd and God she owns it. it you know yeah. and at times sometimes you got to step back and say overwhelmed here you yeah. know can't handle this uh, and and i i was so proud of her Yes. I know people were so embarrassed. Oh, how could you do that to our country and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, own this girl, you yeah. know, just like the tennis players, just like some of the golfers have said, there are times and places I'm not ready for this. Just give me a moment to recover. Yes. Give me a chance here, you know, yes. so b- bless her heart for doing that. So yes. own it, you know, mm-hmm. and when you own it, my God, the freedom that comes, yeah from acceptance and acknowledgement. Then we get to medication, which I'll come back to, okay? Uh, And uh, because those are some of the best things we have. Then we get to modification, Mm. working with you to try and change your behavior where we can, recognizing That we're up against a neurobiological set of limitations here. So, you know, we're not going to train it out of you, but there are things we could do to try to help you be better with your symptoms and your time management. So we call that modification. And then there's accommodation. How can I change my workspace, my environment, my life? so that I'm less impaired. It won't get rid of your disorder. A ramp put it into a building, doesn't get rid of somebody's motor disability in a wheelchair, but it lets them in the house or the building. They can participate. So there are so many accommodations that we talk about in my book and elsewhere, I'm sure you use them too, that are ways of changing my, my space and reorganizing it. So I'm better at what I do. I, I'm still ADHD, I'm still symptomatic, but it doesn't affect me so much as it used to do when I do these kinds of things. So whether it's getting an adult ADHD coach, or whether it's using a day planner, not your computer, because we think low tech for adult ADHD is much better than high tech. And the reason is you'll lose the high tech. You won't find the power cord. You can't find your smartphone. You didn't put the stuff in Sunday night into your cal- you know, calendar for Google, you know? And, and even if you do, it's off, it's in your office. You're in oh. your car. What good is that gonna do? You're... So I'm, I, I, high tech has not worked out with the promise we thought it might. So all of that is to say, to reiterate, evaluation, education, medication, modification, accommodation. You gotta be doing all five. Now, yes, let's get to the medications. There's three kinds of medicines out there and a whole slew of delivery systems. But let's talk about three types. We have the stimulants, been around since the 1930s to 1950s. There's two of them. There's methylphenidate, which everybody knows as Ritalin, but that's the, the drug name. And there's amphetamines, right? And most people know the, you know, like the prescription brand name of you know, Adderall, Vyvanse. Uh, but that's amphetamine. Okay. So those are our stimulants. We had a third, but it it caused some rare liver problems. And back in the seventies and eighties, we took it off the market. Uh, Not we, but the drug company took it off the market. So we have stimulant medications. Why are they called stimulants? They activate the executive brain. They activate The inhibitory circuits. It's like you adding brake fluid to your car. Oh my God, it stops, right? Whereas, with you know, you were low on brake fluid. Well, people with ADHD are kind of, you know, if you will, literally uh, or figuratively rather, uh, kind of low on brake fluid. So let's enhance that activation. Now, it's not just inhibition we're activating, it's all the other six executive functions get activated because they're all interconnected in functional networks. So that's why we call them stimulants. And that's why they work so well for people with ADHD, but they're not sedatives, they're not paradoxical. They you know, they really are activating the brain, good for them. Uh, unfortunately, there's a center of the brain called the reward circuit that they also activate. And that's where the potential for addiction can come in with the stimulants, which is why they're scheduled Uh, you know, controlled substances. Not that you get addicted taking them orally the way you do for ADHD, but there's the potential to alter the drug, to crush it, to inhale it and snort it like cocaine or inject it. Mm. And then it really is just like cocaine. So, uh, but use the way we use it clinically, it is not addictive. Now, it doesn't mean some people can't get a dependence on it, but that's more psychological than physiological. Okay, Mm -hmm. the second category of drugs, and we can come back and talk about the stimulants, because, my God, there's like nine delivery systems out there that are just ingenious for keeping these medicines in the body throughout most of the day. Because the big problem we had when I came to work in the 70s is we only had the regular tablets. They last about three hours, maybe five so kids and adults were taking these things 3 to 5 times a day and we've solved that problem with these extended release delivery system second category of drugs came around in 2003 and those are the non-stimulants you know it is strattera it's atomoxetine and then just last month yeah last month uh, maybe 2 months ago fda approved another drug like atomoxetine called viloxazine its brand name is Kelbri. it's very similar they're both non-stimulant drugs that work on norepinephrine much more than dopamine. The stimulants work more on dopamine and somewhat on norepinephrine. These drugs go the opposite route, more on norepinephrine, a little bit of downstream effects on dopamine, um, but they don't activate that addiction reward center in the brain. So they're not scheduled. They're easier to prescribe. They have no abuse potential. Um, and they're pretty good medications. They're, they're nearly as equivalent as methylphenidate Ritalin is in terms of how they change behavior and improve people's lives. Uh, the, the amphetamines are the most important thing we have. So they're not as good as the amphetamines at that but the amphetamines come with their own problems because they are so potent. Mm-hmm. They also can have side effects and we can talk about those. So we have the two non-stimulants now that are on the market. Calbri is only for kids, but it probably will be approved for adults. They just got to, you know, go back and get their indication. There's no reason it wouldn't be because atomoxidine is already out there for kids, mm-hmm. teens, and adults. All right. Now we have the third category, which came about right in the late 2000, right around 2008, 2009. Those are the alpha two, Agonists. You know them as hypertension drugs. They are antihypertensives. They've been used for decades to lower blood pressure yes. in people with blood pressure problems. But as a spin-off from that, it was discovered that they're useful for managing ADHD as well, uh, using the same mechanism. But the mechanism in this case is working in the frontal lobe, not in the blood pressure centers of the brain and, and body. So um, but they still work. And these alpha-2 drugs, because that's what they work on, there's there's a little port on the nerve cells in the frontal lobe. Uh, It's like little windows or little, uh, I hate to use the word sphincters, but these little things that open and close on the nerve cells. And if they open, this is the alpha-2 port, right? Noise gets in, right? And if they close and shrink down, the signals are stronger, right? And the brain can communicate. And these holes are opening and closing to very, the activity of a nerve cell—that's all natural, okay. But what happens when you take a antihypertensive drug is it closes the ports. Now these signals that are supposed to be getting through the brain, uh, activating the executive brain, are activated. So the alpha two drugs kind of are like fine-tuning the frontal lobe, mm-hmm. rather than hitting it with you know a hammer, which is what the kind of the stimulants are doing. You know, whomp. Um, what you're seeing here is let's just work on that little port and you know, get these signals a little stronger, a little less noisy, and, and by God, it worked. So now we have two antihypertensive drugs. We have guanfacine and clonidine, both in extended release. Uh, I'm using the chemical names because there are different commercial names depending upon the company that manufactures them. So now we got six medications, two stimulants, two non-stimulants, two alpha-2 drugs, woohoo. And we've got a bundle of delivery systems out there. So what's neat is we can now kind of match the medicine to the case, to the Mm. uniqueness of people that we couldn't always do before. We can even try to find the right delivery system for you. So are you somebody who's better on a pellet extended release like an Adderall XR, which tends to activate a little earlier in the day? Uh, Or are you better on a Concerta osmotic pump? People don't realize that little Concerta capsule is a water pump and you know you swallow it and it absorbs water and that pushes on the liquid methylphenidate that's in there the sludge and over 10 hours it like a tube of toothpaste being squeezed is squeezing out liquid methylphenidate isn't that crazy i mean that's ingenious that's the wild. company that yeah the company that manufactured that alza was bought by johnson and johnson for a billion dollars back in the 90s to get that capsule cuz you can use it for other drugs not just this but I mean, talk about genius. Wow. Uh, and you know, of course, you know we have the, the patches. We have the Vyvanse Prodrug, which is very different. Even though it's the same medicine as Adderall, mm-hmm. it's put in a different delivery system. And so it works a little differently for people. And some people are better on Vyvanse than on Adderall. There are others who would be better on methylphenidate. It's not quite as potent. Others would do better on atomoxetine. So, you know, we can kind of look around at the drugs and the delivery systems and talk to you about it and maybe play a little bit with those medicines to try to get it right. But mm-hmm. boy, do we have a huge, you know, kind of uh, uh, medicine chest, if you will, of, of options for people now that back when I came into the field, it was Ritalin and Dexedrine. That's it. And, you know, you just had to tough it out. And take them five times a day and you, you were on this roller coaster all day long on off on off yeah. on off, right and we had you know schools objecting to giving these drugs at school because they're controlled substances yeah. and we had teachers using it to bully their students well i guess you didn't take your medicine you better get down to the nurses stage i mean the crap we put up with back in the yeah. 70s and 80s i mean yeah. the kids and their families right you talk about stigma know and the teachers were not very helpful back then they didn't want to be doing this and you know they could use it as a club against these kids to kind Mm -hmm. of discriminate against them so you know that's all changed wonderful what technology has done in the last 30 40 years to help us solve these problems and then just Mm -hmm. two years ago this month a company came out with a medicine for families where you take the the uh, methylphenidate at night at nine o'clock and it doesn't activate for nine hours, but it's activating when your kid's waking up. So he's on medicine for those critical early morning, weekday hours where everybody's going nuts. Everybody's got to get out the door, you, your brother, your sister, mom, dad, and there's this drop dead hard deadline You know that you got to be out the door. On, and you've got an unmedicated child who's probably got some sleep problems from insomnia and he's yeah. making the whole house crazy, right? Yeah. And this medicine called Jornay PM, it's just methylphenidate, but in such an ingenious delivery system called delayed activation, extended release. That, you know, when they came out with this, uh, it was just unbelievable. You know, I I was privileged to consult to the company around doing some research on families Mm -hmm. because I'd studied families for 20 years earlier in my career. uh, And and they were saying, okay, this is what we want to do. How do we do this? How do we measure this? How do we make sure that it's doing what we want it to do for families? Because even families whose kids are on medicine will tell you that that first hour to hour and a half is gonzo. I mean, they're Mm -hmm. just crazy because it takes that long for these other medicines to start to activate. Now, I think they're going to go back and get an adult approval for this, because there are reasons why adults might benefit from delayed activation, like, hello, I got to get up and go to work. Yeah. But we know that adults with ADHD have a delayed diurnal rhythm, which means that the hour of the day they're most alert is delayed. It's different it's about three to five hours later than a neurotypical. And as a result, they prefer afternoon and nighttime hours. But your employer says, Oh, no, you know, you're mm-hmm. here at eight or nine. And, you know, they may or may not be ready for that. and. Uh, Boy, on Reddit the other day, I was talking with somebody about how often he has to reset his alarm clock because it's like slam, slam, ten minute, ten minute delay. He just can't get his butt, you know, out of bed. Well, that would be something that a delayed activation medicine might be beautiful uh, at helping the adults with this delayed diurnal rhythm and getting ready for work in the morning. So stay tuned. I know the company has plans to, you know, go back and get adult indication, and then they're going to use amphetamine and remanufacture that in the same device. Uh, right I now even it's just think of that. Yeah. Um,
0: you know 10 15 years ago of myself as a new mom. Yeah. With kids who are waking up at 5 or 6 in the morning. God help you. <laughs> and I, you know, I'm not on ADHD medication because I'm nursing and right. and, and it was it was a disaster. Yeah. And yeah. if I would would have been able Um, Okay, so let's fast forward. Maybe I'm not nursing anymore, but I'm able to take a medicine at night that just already is in my system at five or six in the morning when I'm required to get up and take care of tiny humans who are literally yelling in my face as I am trying to like become a fully formed human being in the morning, which is just, I mean, it is not easy work.
1: Well, I'll tell you Um, in the morning, women in particular have told us they go off to work feeling like terrible moms. Yeah, you know, like I'm a failure. Um, And and I'm not talking about just ADHD moms, although they have it even worse. I'm talking about moms of typical children who have had, with ADHD that is, who have had such a tough time in the morning and and have found themselves behaving in ways they don't like to their children in order to hit these deadlines and get people where they need to go. And the first hour as they get to work, it's like, oh, God, I feel so bad. Yeah, You know, I, I need to write him a note or a poem. Yeah, I, damage you know,
0: control. Yeah, that's, that's,
1: that's not me. That's not who I think I am. Right, and, right. you know, so hopefully these these delivery systems will help us out of Incredible. these, these other quandaries, be, because, you know, there's, there's always a, a new problem that we have to solve it yeah, in this field. Yeah. So so that's your medicines, you know, stimulants, non stimulants, and antihypertensives, lots of different drugs, lots of different delivery systems, and each type of of drug is different and so you we can start to think through um okay who's that going to be better for compared Mm -hmm. to others like you come in with adhd but you've got this raging social anxiety that's going along with it um and so while we could do a stimulant for you amphetamines are known in some people not most people but some to exacerbate anxiety methylphenidate can do it too but amphetamine being more potent can do it even worse, and and that's not a blanket statement. It doesn't increase anxiety in everybody, but it does in yeah. some people. Uh, and so for them, or for people with nervous tics or Tourette syndrome, or you know little nervous rituals like you know hair twisting or you know nail biting or something, which the amphetamines can make worse again yeah. more so than methylphenidate, we might go to a non-stimulant with them, yeah. uh, and because. Adamoxetine treats anxiety. People don't realize that. It doesn't just treat ADHD uh, and also it can help a little bit with demoralization. It's not a good antidepressant, Mm -hmm. but often adults with ADHD don't have clinical depression. What they are are demoralized. The word clinically is dysthymia. It's a milder variant of sadness and Mm -hmm. depression, but it can occur as a result of chronic failure yeah. And, and that's where the anxiety, I think, is coming from. You fail often enough, you, you're going to get anxious, especially about those situations that you typically fail in. Um, and so uh, that helps, I think, to understand why anxiety increases with age yeah. with people with ADHD. So, for those people, we might be opting for a non stimulant. There are other yeah. reasons we might do that too. Uh, and, uh, you know, people with. You know, high blood pressure people who, uh, you know, have had uh, heart surgery or something like that. You wouldn't want a drug that's pushing up their blood pressure and heart rate uh, uh, under those risk scenarios. And so Mm -hmm. you could turn to the antihypertensive drugs, which don't raise blood pressure, they actually lower it. One of the side effects is lightheadedness. And we have to watch that because we don't want to drop your blood pressure too low where you're Mm -hmm. fainting while riding your bike. You know, it's uh, that kind of thing. That's very rare, but it's it's possible, you know, that can happen. So, you know, I'm just walking through some of the scenarios where we might be opting for different medicines for different people.
0: Do you think Um, that most clinicians have a good understanding of the variety of medications available to treat ADHD and the variety of human being in the way that like ADHD presents itself in different people or, yeah. um, no. The answer or. is no. Just... Short
1: answer, no. <laughs> um, but, uh, here's the longer answer. Uh, child psychiatry, yes. I mean, they were the original Mm -hmm. game in town. They tracked the stuff. Child psychopharmacologists know everything I'm telling you. Uh, The second group are the adult psychiatrists who are younger and got the training when they were in residency, and they're pretty good at doing this too. The third group of people are primary care people who have gone back to specialize in adult ADHD, and I know a number of primary care people who said, I like this because this is the most treatable disorder. I can't tell you how effective and successful we are at helping people, most people, not everybody, but- um, it's a great practice to be in. And so I know some, some primary care people who have moved over into this field. Yeah, It's
0: super uh, rewarding. Yeah. Such yeah. Rewarding very much work. so.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. people call you crying because you saved their marriage, their life. They got their college degree. They got a promotion, you know, it's just mind boggling. We don't hear that with yeah. bipolar or depression or stuff right. like that. Uh, we, we They improve, but not like this. Yeah. So, you know, my point then is we we've got Um, The adult psychiatrists are learning, depending upon how old they are and whether they're Mm -hmm. willing to learn, Uh, primary care people are the new game in town. And boy, are we, just the past year or two, Chad and I and others have been on a campaign to promote adult ADHD as a public health disorder. Uh, because of all the medical and health related problems that go with this, that primary care docs are being asked to treat, but never screen for ADHD to see if that's the gorilla in the room, so wow. to speak. You know, the, uh, the the wizard behind the curtain that's pulling all of these lifestyle levers and making you eat too much sugar and gain weight and watch too much TV and, you know, have a propensity for bulimia or binge eating and and maybe, you know, tobacco abuse or internet gaming or alcohol everything I've just mentioned is linked to adult ADHD and then some, okay? Um, But they don't know that. So an obese person comes in and says, I really need to lose weight. So they try something, it fails. That's the moment you get out the adult ADHD rating scale and you screen that person. Because what you're seeing is if they can't self-regulate enough to help with self-improvement, that's probably adult ADHD. So Mm -hmm. get it out, screen for it, and then treat the ADHD first Every form of self-improvement we all try to do in our lives requires self-regulation. If your disorder has robbed you of that, how can you self-improve? You can't quit smoking. You can't get off the internet. You can't stop binge eating. You know, you're gonna be doing all of these things that have long-term health consequences as a result of your impulsivity and impaired self-regulation. So let's treat that first, then we'll come back and do detox and you know, get you off of nicotine or cut down alcohol or help you lose weight or get you into an exercise program. But honey, you're not going to the gym if your ADHD isn't controlled. And so, so you see what I'm talking about. That's why 100. We are championing this view with primary care people now, trying mm-hmm. to reach out to them because they get no training in ADHD. They get in anxiety and depression. They're all very comfortable. I mean, you know, even gynecologists are screening their women for right. depression and anxiety and treating it. You know, right. you can get a prescription from your gynecologist, but. You know, they're not doing that for ADHD, but they need to be. 40% of people that go into weight loss clinics are adults with ADHD. 25% of people in cocaine treatment programs are adult ADHD. 25% of prisoners have adult ADHD. Don't even get me started on people who have other addictions, you know, like tobacco and so on. The rate of ADHD in these other areas of health is so high that if a person doesn't succeed, in self-change, that should be the moment you screen for ADHD. And let's see if that's what's causing you to have these failures in self-control. And then Mm -hmm. let's see if we can treat that. So, I mean, this is all new. We just started this uh, about a year, year and a half ago. And of course, then the pandemic hits and it ruins our message. But we're back to re-messaging this as a a, a primary public health disorder. Because by the way, it shortens your lifespan by 11 to 13 years if you don't treat this. Now that's worse than any other health issue we are trying to address in this country. We want people to lose weight, cut down smoking, cut down alcohol, increase exercise. ADHD is five times worse than any of those. It's worse than all of them combined. Why? Because ADHD predisposes you to all of them, not just to one, so, you know, we published this study two years ago. First study ever done showing a reduction in expected life. If you don't manage this disorder, we already knew yes, the I kids were that twice study. as likely. Yeah. It's well, disheartening. Well, it's it, but it should be motivating, which says, yeah. I can change this. Every yeah. factor I just mentioned is changeable. Yeah. This is not cast in stone, you know, but it's not going to change if you don't recognize that the that the elephant in the room is ADHD. If you just try to treat weight loss, smoking and all these other things I talked about and you're not looking for ADHD, you'll fail. But if you'll screen for ADHD, you can succeed. You can make those other changes. You can let people have a natural life expectancy again where they didn't have it. People don't realize how life-threatening ADHD is. I know, because I lost my twin brother and my nephew yeah. to it. But yeah. you know, kids are twice as likely to die by age 10 from accidental injury. There's no disorder mm-hmm. that predisposes to accidents the way mm-hmm. this does. Adults with ADHD are five times more likely to die by age 45 than anybody else. Right. All for the same reason, right? Accidental injuries, suicides, homicides, lifestyle choices that they're making. I mean, eventually, these lifestyle choices rack up.
0: Yeah, they so do. So that
1: by the time you're in middle age, you're paying for the consequences of yeah. a life of impulsivity, and you know yeah. that that can be changed. You know, to me, that's the message. You yeah, know, and they-
0: you know, I get a lot of pushback, and I'm sure you do too, because there's misinformation about the risks of ADHD medication. And I've done several episodes on the risks of not medicating. And so could you though, walk us through just briefly, Right. of course there are risks to taking any medication. What what should people be on the lookout as far as risks for medication? And then Give it to us, give it to us straight with like the actual risk of not
1: treating it. Absolutely. Okay. Very quickly. Here's the rundown. First overarching message. These are the safest drugs in psychiatry, bar Mm -hmm. none. There is no category of medication that we use for mental disorders as safe as these. So get over it. You know, this is not a straight jacket of the mind. This is not a chemical billy club. It, it's not the Soviet Union in the 1960s where we're using antipsychotics with political dissidents. You know, nobody's papering over anything. Second, you need to think of these medicines not so much as medication, but as genetic therapies. They're neurogenetic treatments. They go right into the brain. They alter the activity of genes and nerve cells in the brain at the very heart of where ADHD is coming from. They are equivalent to insulin for diabetes. So there's no papering over. We're not covering up the real problem, which is your mother. We're going to instead address the underlying neurobiology. The sad part is that... It only does that when the drug is in your bloodstream. And when Mm -hmm. the drug washes out, you're back to your ADHD self again. Now, as an aside, we can come back sometime and talk about that. There are 35 studies showing that the longer you stay on an ADHD stimulant, the more normal those brain areas become. Permanent. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Permanently. Permanently, yeah. So what we're seeing is people are saying oh, oh, these drugs are ruining your brain. No, they're not. And if you keep activating those underdeveloped brain areas, they get better connectivity, they get better functional coordination. And in some people, perhaps 25% to 40%, those parts of the brain grow. We have neuroimaging studies. Just go to Google Scholar, type in ADHD plus neuroprotection, and you will see all these studies percolate up now it's still debatable why this is happening what the mechanism is you know whether it's some kind of confounding but it's probably not conf- when you get 35 studies that are finding the same thing it's not error you know yeah. you, you pay attention to that so that's just an aside so uh, back to it uh, all right so number one they're safe medications they have annoying side effects no doubt about that and we have to work on that all right and, and work with you on that number yeah. two they're direct therapies for the mechanisms that ADHD arises from. You're not papering over anything. Okay, so let's do the rundown. The stimulants, the most common, and there are the big four or five, are these insomnia. They're gonna keep you up a little later at night, even as they're, you know, even though they've worn off. All right. So we have to try to deal with that, and there are ways to deal with it. I I don't want to go into all of that, but physicians know how to play around with timing, dose, maybe different drug, different delivery system. We can work on that. If not, we'll just work on some other sleep mechanisms, melatonin, you know, something else for you. Um, The the second is uh, appetite suppression, which is a concern in children because they may not grow as quickly. So they're going to be about two to four pounds less in that year or two, but that's temporary and they may be about a centimeter smaller than they would have been in their height. They don't shrink. They don't just don't grow at the same rate they would have. But in adults, that's not an issue. I mean, many of the adults tell us the appetite suppression is a bonus, not mm-hmm. a side effect. So, yeah. you know, uh, because it helps me with my binge eating which I'm mm-hmm. prone to do, not me personally, yeah. but, yes. but you get it. All right, so the, uh, the next ones are uh, headaches and stomach aches which occur mm-hmm. in about 20% of people. The big one is insomnia, 50% appetite suppression, about 40 to 50%. And then there are those two. Then we get down to these little tiny probability side effects. One is irritability, particularly as the drug is washing out late in the afternoon. Okay, we'll switch it to a different drug, or maybe mm-hmm. we'll do a combo of medicines, cutting down the dose of both, so maybe we can, we can manage that. Uh, the other is a propensity for, for a, sort of a tearfulness, uh, a v- very emotionally sensitive. It's not irritable. Uh, it's almost like a sentimentality, if you will, but, uh, and again, about one in 10, one in 20 people, but we got to deal with that, right? Uh, And then we get down into nervous mannerisms, particularly with amphetamines. If you're already prone to nervous mannerisms, like hair pulling and lip biting and nail, you know, um, it could increase with these because they're going to make you feel tense as they're activating. Adderall in particular is known to do that a little bit less for Vyvanse, but uh, or people get TMJ, you know, they get, uh, you know, they're you know, grinding their teeth or the, all of a sudden, you know, I, 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 my jaw my, is aching. And so there's that that we have to deal with. But again, you're talking about 10% or less, right? Then there's about three to 4% who, if you had nervous tics, they could get worse. So if you had a little bit of tic disorder or Tourette syndrome, sometimes it gets worse. About 30% of the time it worsens it but mainly the amphetamines, not methylphenidate, so much. On the other hand, the other 60% of people with tick disorders don't see any adversity to that. In fact, some of them even report a little bit of improvement. So again, it's not a, a, a one rule, one size fits all. We got to try you on it. And see whether you're gonna be the one that it exacerbates or you're gonna be the one that it helps. We just don't know, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we have to wait and see. But there's no harm done because the medicine only stays in the body less than 24 hours. And if you're having an adverse reaction, it washes out within the day. And so now we know, you know, yeah. unlike other drugs where we gotta keep you on them for weeks. And you, mm-hmm. you have to taper them down for weeks. You don't do that with the with the stimulant medications. Mm-hmm. So so you know th- that's a good thing because we can play yeah. with the drugs. And if we make a mistake or something happens, it's not gonna last for very long. Mm-hmm. And then we get down to the extremely rare side effect, less than 1%, who may develop a psychotic reaction mm-hmm. to the stimulants, not to the other drugs, but to the stimulants. We know that stimulants taken at high doses can cause paranoia tactile and auditory hallucinations more tactile in kids you feel like bugs are crawling on the skin it's about one in a hundred according to the big databases that have been looking at this so is it there yes is it common no mm-hmm. and it usually suggests that somewhere in the family line there's a genetic propensity for psychosis or thought disorder oh, and wow. the stimulants are kind of activating a little bit of that but you know we, then, we don't worry about that. Is that, that only
0: Maybe you know if somebody were to have be that rare person right when the drug wears off in 24 it's hours
1: it's gone it goes away and and if it's really bad because you know you you you're on an extended release which is going to last 10 hours you go to the ER and mm-hmm. they will give you an anti dopamine drug to mm-hmm. shut that down like haldol, haloperidol. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know if it's really bad, I mean if you're flagrantly psychotic, we're right. going to give you an antipsychotic yeah. to shut that down. But mm-hmm. it's only going to last for the time that the drug is in the body, okay? Mm-hmm. And and now we know. So, mm-hmm. you know, those are the the big side effects. Now there's a slight increase in blood pressure and heart rate. It's mm-hmm. the equivalent of walking up a half a flight of stairs. Big deal, but it right. is there. You can handle it. And if you're in that zone of high blood pressure already, or you already have arrhythmia or other heart conditions, we probably wouldn't want you on this. We might move you to one of the non-stimulants or even that mm-hmm. antihypertensive drug. But you know, that's the physician's job is to screen right. out these contraindications uh, against that. But so you know, that would be one of the other ones. And then I said, as in kids, we kind of watch their growth a little bit because a small percentage of them aren't growing as quickly as we would like. They're already small uh, in, in some cases anyway. Um, but that's temporary, that lasts a couple of years. And by the time you're a teen or a young adult, that's not happening anymore. Um, so we don't worry so much about that. Now, as you said, uh, the, the there is a downside to not treating, okay? Yeah. So that's the downside to treating. You could have some annoying side effects and mm-hmm. you might la- not like them very much and we'll try to deal with those. But that's true of all medicine, you know that, Kristen. So, yeah. you know, this isn't the only medicine that does that. Um, The downside is this, okay? I've already talked about twice the mortality in children, high rate of accidental injury, four to five times the mortality in adult from injury, suicide, homicide. Then we've got the driving. You've got four times the speeding tickets, three times the crashes. The crashes are two to three times worse. You could even die. You could kill people. My brother died in a car accident from Mm -hmm. his ADHD risk-taking. You Mm -hmm. know, So there's that downside. Then there's the risk of suicide in high school and young adulthood, which is when it reaches its peak, even in the typical population, it's at an even worse peak in the ADHD population. Depression makes you think of suicide. ADHD makes you do it because you're so damned disinhibited that when you get this idea, you try it. And you're so impulsive, it's worse and it likely succeeds more than it would in somebody who didn't have ADHD. Hence my nephew. Uh, At 15 minutes going from being, you know, everything is just fine to hanging in his closet on an electric cord after an argument with a girlfriend. That's the disinhibition that we're talking about here. So, you know, when people say, oh, there's a downside to medication, honey, there's a downside to this disorder that is markedly worse than what this medication Mm. will ever do to you. Uh, Mm -hmm. What about your marriage? What about the fact that you didn't finish college and can't seem to finish your degrees? What about the fact that you've been fired from seven jobs in 10 years? It's not atypical of the, how can you progress up the income ladder and the employment prestige ladder, so to speak, when you're constantly skipping around, oh, I don't like my boss, I guess I won't go in today. I had one young adult call me, cancel his appointment because what he said was, you know, I got up this morning and my buddy's going to Denver to look for a job you know, and this kid's in Milwaukee and, you know, and he says, so I'm not coming in today. And I said, do you know anybody out there? No. Do you have a home? No. Do you have an apartment? No. Does he have any money? No. But it sounds like fun. See ya. I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about here. This disinhibited joie de vie, you know, damn the torpedoes. Well, that sounds like fun on vacation. After about a week or two of that, we all got to get back to work. We got responsibilities and jobs and kids and work and, uh, but that, that just, you know, kind of typifies to me, this impulsive occupational decision making mm-hmm. that goes mm-hmm. on uh, around ADHD. And you've pointed out a number of the other problems, you know, the emotional difficulties that can come up at work or at home and in relationships mm-hmm. that we have to deal with. So, you know, these people, they're losing relationships like crazy. Yes. Their divorce rates are higher. Their friendships don't last as long. They're engaging in risky sexual behavior. Yeah. they are 10 times more likely to have a baby as a teenager. They're not yeah. using contraception because all of this requires a little bit of planning and forethought. Definitely. With regard yeah, to executive sex
0: function. Yeah. And For they're sure. not
1: doing it right. Yeah. So, duh, they're four <laughs> times more likely to get sexually transmitted diseases, you know, yeah. and so it's like, hello. Right. Yeah. You know, those are your risks. And, and let's talk about mommy since we're on the subject, because this is a new area can you take these medications if you're pregnant? Yes, please tell us the things. Well, uh, all we have right now are several big population studies, like out of Denmark and Sweden, using the entire population here in the US, using some of our big databases. Here's what we find. We're not seeing an increase in lots of malformations in the physical, you know, like physical deformities, okay? Nobody's looked yet at whether they predispose to developmental or, or psychiatric problems, but so far, malformation. On the other hand, there was a slight uptick to about 2% of the kids that had some minor malformations in the heart. Mm. Now, that's we're talking about out of hundreds of thousands, we go from like one to 12 you know, in terms of number. So, you know, it's a slight uptick in cardiac malformations, but it's been found twice. Okay. They're not major, they're minor, but they're there. All right. And they can be detected Mm -hmm. in, in the offspring. So it may be, and and we're talking the stimulants here. We haven't looked at the other drugs in Mm -hmm. these studies, um, that there's that little bit of risk. And then, as you said, if you're a nursing mom, uh, methylphenidate does get into the breast milk, but we don't know that it does much to the baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, amphetamine can also do that, but it might produce some irritability uh, in that child because, you know, you're not going to see a, a short or long attention span in an infant, but right. you're going to see some irritability. So there's that possibility. I mean, there's nothing major or dangerous going on, but right. but that could be happening if you're breastfeeding and taking mm-hmm. a stimulant. So, mm-hmm you got to have a sensitive discussion with moms or or soon-to-be pregnant women uh, Mm -hmm. around, okay, here's what we know, right? Because the drug companies will just tell you, don't take our drug. But that's a liability issue, not a science issue. So the physician, on the other hand, has to weigh the cost of that because if we stop your medication, look at all these other things. The car accidents, the depression, the relationship, your marriage may not survive you coming off this medication, your work, your care Mm -hmm. of your other children, you Mm know, I mean, your health, Uh, all of these are going to go down the tubes if you stop that medicine. So here we go, you know, risk benefit. And then it's, what do you want to do? It's your call, not mine, yours, but give people options with Mm -hmm. clarity around risk benefit. Rather than some blanket, no, 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 you know, can't go there. No stimulant for you, you know, kind of like a soup Nazi. You know, we're just not doing that.
0: <laughs> I really do wish that I had someone in my life who was willing to have that conversation with me yeah. regarding um, quality of life yeah. and ability to manage. You know, you you go from being an adult human who's barely getting by. And then you add in, um, another
1: human, yeah. Another human
0: extra (laughs) hormones, not sleeping, forgetting to eat all of those other factors. Your life is no longer your own. When you are a new parent with, with a baby. And, um, I, I have so much compassion for that version of me who did it totally uh, unmedicated, unsupported, I don't know how I did it I (laughs) I don't know how you did it it either
1: yeah but but I'm just saying have the discussion make the choice make an informed choice but to me when you look at risk versus benefits on both sides of this calculation um you know I I think it's worse not medicating than medicating but that's Mm. not my choice I'm not the mom uh you know so you you have Mm -hmm. to evaluate that and you can always change your mind you know so if you decide you're not going to go on it, and two to three months into it, you know, your life is a hot mess, and maybe maybe we restart. Or we go to I a non-stabilite, yeah.
0: The option to change your mind.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's never cast in stone, so, so mm-hmm. that can happen. But, but I'm glad you asked about that, because that's just we just talked about that this year, first time ever at one of our scientific conferences for uh, professionals specializing in ADHD. There's an organization in the US called APSARD, American Professional Society for ADHD and related disorders. You don't have to remember that. Just type appsod.org and you'll get to our website, which is Mm -hmm. for people specializing in clinical practice, providing them with continuing education, Mm -hmm. annual conferences, lots of resources, the Journal of Attention. There's a lot of benefits to being in that organization. So -hmm. uh, so if you wanna stay up to speed, that's a great organization to belong to, uh, to do so. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's, there's plenty of information out there, and particularly now this issue is being explored, ADHD in women, mm-hmm. female hormones in women, you know, mm-hmm. pregnant women. Remember, by the way, whether you take your medicine or not, if you have ADHD and it's the genetic type, which it usually is, the risk to your children for ADHD is 25 to 35% anyway. That has nothing to do with the drugs. That's yeah. the genetic transmission of the disorder so um so you know you got to know that too because you could be a mom with adhd wondering about having another child uh and you've already got one with adhd uh, and now you want to come off your medicine you know right. it's like whoa <laughs> yeah. do you really yeah. want to do that and uh, and maybe you do uh, you know maybe right. you want to go full Everybody natural organic and and right. you choose and i respect that you know yeah. ultimately it's their choice just like ultimately it's the parents choice to medicate mm-hmm. or not medicate a child but just mm-hmm. know what you're getting into I if think you the deny point, medication though... yeah go ahead
0: i'm i'm sorry to interrupt i think the point yeah. though is that there is a choice yes and and i don't know that like i certainly wasn't given a choice yeah. um, that conversation of choice was really not presented to me. So it was like, you're nursing or you're pregnant, you're nursing, obviously you're not taking medication. It it wasn't discussed as a choice. And I think that's the point of what you're saying is like, no, it actually is a choice. You get to decide.
1: Well, there's an expert over at Harvard Mass General Hospital who specializes in teratogenic effects of psychiatric drugs who came to us and talked to us about this. On the heels of that, there were these giant population studies that got published in the last couple of months around these kinds of risks and benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think we can have that conversation now that we couldn't have had a year or two ago when mm-hmm. everybody was just saying, I don't wanna be involved in this, get off that drug right. because of liability. And mm-hmm. we didn't realize that the liability of coming off was even greater than the liability of staying on. But you know, work it through, talk to your doc mm-hmm. and uh, the information is slowly coming out there about this mm-hmm. stuff, but, uh, but it, is, it is a choice as, as you say, so mm-hmm. yeah. It's so empowering. Yeah, well, so great talking to you about all of this. Oh my God, we could go on forever.
0: (laughs) I really could go on forever. I want to make sure that I'm respectful of your time. Um, So I just want to say, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank thank you, you, thank you. What a pleasure, what um, a dream. And I... I hope that we can continue to have these conversations because yeah. the more that people are hearing, not just from a layperson like myself, but from someone who's been in um, the, the thick of it for okay. decades and decades, the information that you're able to give us is just so valuable. I'm so appreciative.
1: Well, thanks. I, I really appreciate that. It's been a pleasure. And thanks for giving me the, the bully pulpit to disseminate all the science, which is my <laughs> this is my mission late in my career is, yeah. you know, it's not just getting new findings. Yeah. It's, you know, we need to get the information to the people who can benefit from it the most. And that's the endpoint end user, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so like Richard Dawkins and Carl Sagan and, you know, Jacob Banowski and, you know, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, people who, who have left the ivory tower right. in order to increase this transmission speed of information out to the public, you know, that, has, that has been my life's goal and especially late in life. It's, you know, I'm 71, this is the pay it forward part of my life. And um, let, let's just get this out there. You know, it doesn't do any good if I know it. And nobody right. else does, you know, right. and I don't need another journal articles. I'm already a retired professor. I don't care, you know, Yeah, so you're doing okay. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. So, <laughs> you know, that's what led to me writing my uh, the book last year, 12 principles for raising a child with ADHD. During the pandemic, I sat down and I said, I see the end of my career coming. It's yes. coming very quickly. We've got three hundred thousand research papers, conferences out the wazoo, books everywhere. That all the you know the expert knowledge is. Can we distill that to the basic ideas a parent mm. or an adult with ADHD needs to know right right mm. now? This is the state of our science, and so uh, you know that just lit me up to write that book and get it done. It's getting rave reviews. It's been out for about six months. I get standing ovations when I do this ah. lecture because it's the essence. This is what you got to know. And, and I love that. So thank you for giving me a chance to go over those kinds of, of ideas and issues here. It's been great.
0: Do you have any other books brewing?
1: Um, well, I have one I, for I know okay. the one so, that's coming out. Uh, well, I updated Taking Charge of ADHD for Parents. That was yes. uh, That came out last fall. Uh, Then I wrote the 12 Principles book because I was just driven passionately to get to these basic ideas. Uh, Then I uh, updated Taking Charge of Adult ADHD, which is out next month. Uh, And then I wrote uh, the equivalent of the 12 Principles for clinicians because I kept saying to myself, what do you guys need to know out there? You know, just distill it. You don't need to read my 900 page ADHD handbook Bible. Right. You know, that's too much information, okay? Right. Let's go through that and pull out, this is what you need to know. If you're in clinical practice and you see somebody with ADHD, this is what you know, and this is what you do. And that's coming out by the end of the year.
0: Would it be totally out of line if
1: yeah.
0: a listener were to buy that book and take it to their clinician and say, I, I-, I love you? Yeah. And I, I want to, you know, I want you yeah. to be my person, but like also, could you please read this?
1: Well, what a great idea, but I hate to sound self-promoting. So, you know, I'm going <laughs> to let you promote that idea. As a I,
0: clinician, I guess what I, I'm asking is, is that offensive? No. Would it be offensive?
1: And if it is, leave. This uh. is what I tell people. Um, don't go tell your doctor what they need to know share information. Oh, I came across this. Oh, I was Mm -hmm. on a Reddit thread and Dr. Barkley mentioned this science paper or this review article. Mm -hmm. Oh, I saw this book from this world expert on ADHD. You know, I really thought maybe you might like to have this. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, you know, become the Johnny Appleseed of ADHD and you're kind of seeding these ideas, but you don't go in, you know, you idiot, you don't know (laughs) ADHD. Because, but and and if the clinician, after you say, you know, I came upon this book, it's really helping me understand this. I thought maybe you'd like a copy, right? That's sharing, that's collegialness. Yeah. And if they're offended by that, get the hell out. Love. Because you don't want that clinician. I mean, that's just arrogance and pretentiousness. Go find somebody else, you know? Check the websites for Chad and AppSart mm-hmm. and others and find another expert in your area where, where you can do the Attitude Magazine also has a search finder. Uh, mm-hmm. So attitude.com dot, dot as well. Um, but you know, there are ways to find other experts, but yeah, I mean, if you want to oh, do it. that, that's great. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> Thank you.
0: You are my kind of guy. Thanks for being here. <laughs> if you're being treated for your ADHD, but you still don't feel like you're reaching your potential, you've got to join focus. It's my monthly coaching membership where I teach you how to tame your wild thoughts and create the life that you've always wanted. No matter what season of life you're in or where you are in the world, Focused is for you. All materials and call recordings are stored in the site for you to access at your convenience. Go to IHaveADHD.com slash Focused for all the info.